Welcome to another episode of EG Like Sunday Morning. This week, I'm joined by two EG LSM favourites, news editor extraordinaire Pui Guan Man and intrepid London reporter Alex Daniel. Great to have you both back, but I think for the first time together. So how has the week been for you both? It's been all right, thanks. I think actually maybe it's the second time. I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. I lose track. <laughs> Alex, what do you think? Have you been I on think this we've week? been on before, you know. I think you're wrong, Jess. I, 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 just, I think yeah. we've been on before because I remember watching Pui take on the news quiz okay. a few weeks ago and pass with flying Blowing colors. it away. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. I need to keep some kind of spreadsheet so I know all the combinations. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, how was the week? Other than me forgetting uh, us doing an EG LSM together about a month or two ago, uh, how has the week been for you? It's been all right. It's been all right. It's been quite a busy time actually I think the world reopening has sort of mm. meant everyone's getting their skates on a little bit trying to book real life meetings god forbid and um it's it's nice it feels a bit more normal I have eaten outside uh, at an Ask Italian which is quite a quite a, a moment for me after so many months of not eating out it was a little <laughs> bit little bit chilly there were no heaters but otherwise good uh, so, Alex, I see this week you've declared 2021 the year of the tall building, uh, a bold claim indeed. So, so what led to this pronouncement? Well, this uh, came from um, the tall building survey for London, which is kind of a, an annual um, survey of the, the pipeline of tall buildings coming to the capital, um, as opposed to just counting all the tall buildings which already exist. Um, and that's done by, by New London Architecture and Knight Frank. Um, and their findings are kind of surprising. So, you know, start of last year, um, Conservatives had just got back into power with a landslide, Brexit were looking a lot more certain, and property development, property development for towers was by and large looking really good, and then COVID happened. Mm. Um, and everyone was expecting it to cause long-term damage to this kind of pipeline of tall buildings, of, you know, um, all the planning applications that had, were currently in the process of being submitted or had been accepted, all the buildings that were on their way. Um, what actually happened was that while last year planning applications did fall off the cliff for a while, um, they really bounced back strongly in the second half. Um, and there was a real bounce back in confidence from developers who wanted to throw up these tall buildings. Um, and, you know, similarly, although construction stopped for a little while, it got back on track really quickly. Um, and it's all sort of uh, added up to a situation where this year is the big kind of bounce back year for tall buildings, basically. And this is why um, people are kind of considering it a, a big year for tall buildings in London, where um, we're kind of making up for lost time. And I think there's... 50, I want to say 52 tall buildings are on track to be completed this year, which is um, smashing the previous record of 44, which was the year before last. Um, and the actual overall pipeline of tall buildings is 7% um, higher than it was before the pandemic, um, which is, I think, 584 tall buildings in the pipeline now, which seems like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but I suppose what it basically means is that, yes, this is the year for tall buildings, 
but I think more importantly it indicates that Covid seems to have had less of a, a kind of a long-term effect on the future of London's skyline than perhaps experts thought it would. So plenty of fun ahead for, for crane spotters uh, in Absolutely. London. Absolutely. All the <laughs> intrepid crane spotters in the EG offices um, will be having a fantastic 2021. <laughs> good. Um, 2021 is so far not being quite so good for uh, the RICS, Pui. Uh, and you've been keeping on top of this, uh, yeah. developing, uh, is it too much to call it a crisis? I don't know, which um, Sam in her leader is already pitching to Netflix as a The Thick of It style comedy. Uh, working title Rick's Diculous. Um So, what's the latest, and and can you offer any improved titles? <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean the the drama at uh, the RICS uh, continues. So, um, I guess to kind of, um, I, I guess in order to kind of provide a, a nutshell of what's been going on, I should uh, go back a little bit. So, um, <laughs> RICS has been carrying out two reviews uh, regarding its organization, um, its own organization, that is. So, the first um, is an independent review into events that happened in 2018 and 2019, where four non executive directors were dismissed after querying how um, a financial report about its treasury management controls was handled internally. Uh, Peter Oldham QC was appointed to lead that one. At the same time, uh, it kicked off a strategy looking at its future purpose and relevance, uh, key themes quite notably including um, governance and transparency. That one was led by CEO Sean Tompkins and President Kath um, Fontana, a point which in itself has been heavily criticised. But um, anyway, in that one, responses were being encouraged from far and wide from its, you know, 138,000 uh, members. Um, Peter Oldham has now quit that first review. Um, RICS um, said that he was unable to continue for professional reasons. Um, and incidentally, that statement was put out on the same day as the second consultation closing. But um, anyways, what were those professional reasons? I mean, um, RICS didn't go into specifics. Um, mm. But word in the market is that Peter Oldham was absolutely overwhelmed um, by sort of hundreds of responses um, relating to the second consultation. Um, and he was meant to be concluding his investigation this month, but mm. with hundreds of responses to pick through about the future of RICS and what relevance it has to the industry, there was likely no way um, he w could have finished his review in that time frame. So he's now passed everything on to um, Alison Levitt QC of Two Hair Court and her team. And they're aiming to get their findings ready um, for mid-June. And she's, you know, she's renowned for her mm. inquiries into pretty hard-hitting um, matters. You know, she's done inquiries into, into murder, into fraud. She's also done independent inquiries into the decision not to prosecute um, Jimmy Savile in 2009 and modern slavery claims um, regarding Boohoo's supply chain um, last year. So, um, I mean... I, I guess you, you can bet that people are wondering, you know, about how this all sits in the context of RICS's finances, too. Um, I mean, another one of many things they've been criticised for not being transparent on. So, you know, Alison Levitt, she's clearly a, a QC of high calibre, mm. um, and that's a massive plus for RICS. But, you know, last year, 
uh, and we talked about this before on a previous podcast, um, I, I believe, on, on EG Light Sunday morning. It made loads of redundancies, it furloughed people, it has no intention of ret- returning that furlough money. Um, you know, at the same time, it's been paying out bonuses, you know, big salary packages for uh, certain individuals. I mean, all in all, how much this is all costing and, you know, mm. whether members agree with how their fees are, are being sort of spent in this way, you know. Um, that's, you know, so that's a question for, for our listeners to, to mull over, mm. perhaps. Um, do, you think, I mean, do you think the ultimate effect will be transformational? Um, I mean, that I think is the sort of, that's the hope that everyone has. <laughs> but um, at this rate, people are wondering just how far it can go. Yeah. I mean, having having one review after the other might have made sense of, you know, having this um, independent review into the 2018 and 2019 one first, followed by the big review on purpose and relevance and, and governance mm. and transparency might have might have created something more transformational, perhaps. Yeah. But um yeah, the the this has left a you know a lot of questions hanging in the air. I think everyone yeah. is hoping that Alison is going to get the job done and prevent yeah. the can from being kicked down the road and you know the the very long road. Um, but you know RICS has got a big battle on its hands. I think to um, you know keep its members trust, which is really at the heart of it all. Um, yeah. As for as um, for Netflix titles, um, you have to come back to me on that one. I have a think. Okay, I'm sh- I'm sure we'll be talking about this again very soon. So yeah, yeah you can you can line something up for next time. And uh, Alex, turning to another of your stories, I saw this week that football is a, a matter very close to my heart. Uh, and uh, this week we we had exciting news about the new look approach to Wembley, which uh, unveiled just in time for hosting an international football event that even I think is is not a great idea during a pandemic. <laughs> Absolutely. So all fans of relatively successful football clubs will probably be <laughs> kind of uh, familiar with Wembley Way, which is mm-hmm. the walk up to um, the, the 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 national stadium. Um, and it used to have that sort of that gigantic ramp at the end of the the road leading up to the stadium, kind of separated in the middle. Um, basically, the developer of the the broader Wembley Park. Uh, regeneration scheme, uh, Quintain, um, they have got rid of the ramp and they've built, um, I can't remember how many it is now, I think it's 42 giant sort of granite steps leading mm. up to the stadium and they're you know really wide. Um, they've tried to make it sort of the centrepiece of a, a reworked Wembley Way where at the top of it they have this kind of semicircular stage um, platform thing. Um, it's all you know, a big concrete square, basically, um, <laughs> sort of public realm, where I think the idea of it is that people will sit on the steps, they'll be able to have concerts at the top on the semicircular podium, um, that sort of thing. And it's a little bit more useful in everyday life, perhaps, than mm. the giant ramp leading up to the stadium, which I think was probably only of much use on match days, or mm. if you were skateboarding down the hill. Um, <laughs> They've also widened the the road leading up to the stadium and they're hoping to kind of turn it into a a much bigger sort of shopping destination. Mm. And Amazon Fresh opened there a couple of weeks ago, one of the only Amazon Fresh, you know, walk out of the shop without paying at the till kind of things Mm. in the country. And um, 
I think that they were telling me that they've got significant interest in the sort of the retail opportunities that are opening up there. Um, it does come just in time for the Euros. The final is being played at Wembley. How many fans will be allowed in is mm. still um, up for grabs, I think. UEFA are hoping that it's going to be more than 40,000, which sounds optimistic. Um, but, yeah, that will be the sort of the perfect dress rehearsal, I suppose, for when full capacity returns to Wembley Stadium um, for this kind of new, improved public, re- public realm built by um, Quintain. Mm-hmm. Well, last time I was there, the, the Haribo outlet shop was the the definite highlight of the uh, the shopping offer uh, there. So I don't know whether it's still open. I don't know whether it's survived uh, 2020, but uh, well worth a visit if you're ever in the, the Wembley area. You'll have to go to the Euros to find out, Jeff. I know, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Uh, what else has been keeping the news desk busy this week? Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll jump in. Um, this week, we've uh, seen some definitive uh, moves from some of the biggest uh, listed real estate companies um, that uh, signpost how everyone's sort of getting ready to face to p- face um, a post-pandemic market. So um, New River Reits, British Land and Hammerson were among those that have set out sort of clearer steps um, on this front. Um, New River is planning a, a pretty bold move to uh, divest its Hawthorne uh, community pubs business um, by spinning it off as a standalone company on the London Stock Exchange. Um, And um, there's 673 pubs in that portfolio um, valued at around sort of 262 million, which New River built up after buying Hawthorne's operating platform three years ago, as well as some chunky deals uh, with Punch and um, Marston's. And um, Chief Executive uh, Alan Lockhart told us that uh, New River has sort of used the past year to undertake uh, a comprehensive um, review to think ahead around the wider marketplace. Um, and, uh, you know, he said there are opportunities for the group to grow both its community retail and pub businesses, but that they just can't do both at the same time in the current structure. Um, partly because there are restrictions around REITs and operating businesses that would limit their um, ability to grow um, the Hawthorne business. So um, all of the pubs are mostly suburban and the rationale is it can play into the sort of wider shift um, towards working from home and using uh, local services. Um, but in the meantime, the main business will focus on its strategy for uh, retail disposals and repurposing and sort of reducing its LTV after the pub business um, is spun off. Um, and then we have British Land, which confirmed that plans are underway to redevelop more than a million square feet of urban logistics at its Meadow Hall and um, Teesside properties. Um, And it's drawing up plans to submit to the relevant councils um, in the coming months. Um, And they've already exchanged on its first logistics property in Enfield 2 at a pretty sharp yield, um, under 3%. Um, And it's finally preparing to place build contracts at its landmark uh, Canada Water campus development um, over the summer. And on top of that, it's also looking to buy more retail parks um, too. So, you know, there's a, a lot going on there. And um, on the retail parks front, uh, Hammerson finally appears to be making some headway with its retail park sell off um, after going into talks with Brookfield on selling its portfolio for 
350 million um, people are going to be watching the pricing on that one with interest. Um, a deal was previously agreed to sell um, the, those parks to Orion um, for 400 million last year, but um, you know, it dropped the deal uh, a few months later. But um, at any rate, all of those together are just really kind of underscoring all of the opportunities and uh, challenges, not just for REITs, but for you know the wider industry as well you know as everything is is reopening um post lockdown um it's just a handful of of firms uh, you know but it does really feel like a bit of a turning point um for, for listed real estate this week okay so it's all happening yeah <laughs> it's exciting Good time uh, and the excitement doesn't end there because it is of course time for the quiz of the week and uh, you reminded me earlier on alex that you 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 were there uh, for quiz history making uh, first four out of five uh, and uh, she did actually record a second four out of five working in tandem i think with sam so Pui is the the undisputed uh, leader uh, but now's your opportunity to try and knock her off her perch uh, albeit i'm sure she'll be sitting there waiting to pounce and steal your points for anything you you don't uh, you don't get so are you ready for the quiz of the week alex are you excited i've been reading the magazine as, as i do every week <laughs> bring it on bring it on okay question one which fashion brand has been splashing the cash on office and shed space that's boohoo it is boohoo which has bought uh, 72 million pound London office and more than 400,000 square feet of shed space. Question two, which institute with an iconic name has taken a 10 year lease at Angel Studios in Islington? Oh, it's the uh, Abbey Road uh, oh. Studios Institute. It's the Abbey Road Institute. Yeah, well, Pri was just waiting for her opportunity, but you... <laughs> I wrote that story. I should have got that. Question three, uh, the missing words question. Don't stop blank. Don't stop blank. Oh, he's pulled it out of the bag. It is talking. This was Tim's piece on how conversations around well-being should continue after lockdown. Three out of three. Pui is looking nervous. Uh, in this week's EG interview, uh, headlined Ready for Assembly, which developer told us why schools and education are at the heart of their schemes? Mm, I don't know. I'd be oh. giving a wild guess. Well, it might pay off. Am I coming in to steal the point? No, I'm kidding. I'll get... <laughs> uh, could it be you and I? It's urban and civic. Oh, I knew it began with a U. <laughs> but, so, <laughs> You can still get four out of five. You can still tie with Pui. And this is the diary question. So right. the buildings of which major movie franchise got a kicking from architects and critics on Twitter this week? It's the Avengers, isn't it? It is the Avengers movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which yeah, which guaranteed it a spot on the diary page. As someone that spends far too much time on Twitter and far too much time reading the diary pages, that was an easy one. <laughs> Wow. I didn't. I didn't know that. Why? Why is it being um, criticised? Uh, so, some, some an architecture critic uh, just sort of basically said they were all horrible. That anything relating to the Avengers, the Avengers Tower, Tony's Mansion, all of it, hideous, and various people weighed in. But I would quite happily live at Tony Stark's Malibu Mansion, and I'm sure. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I wouldn't know. complain. 
<laughs> okay, thanks both and well done for uh, for joining Pui at the top of the leaderboard. Uh, I know now she will be desperate to have another crack at uh, the five out of five, won't you, Pui? Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Maybe next week. Okay, so that just leaves time for me to run through what we have uh, coming up on the EG podcast channel this week. Uh, on Monday, in the latest episode of Bricks and Mortar, the wonderful Sarah Jackman is talking to Hollis's John Woodman about his five-year CSR strategy. Then we have a double whammy on Thursday the 22nd, Earth Day, as none other than Damien Wilde talks to Guy Granger about his new sustainability role. And EG heads, albeit virtually, to Dublin as part of its Future Of series. Then, of course, you can join me back here with EG like Sunday morning. Who will join me next time? Tune in to find out. Same EG time, same EG channel.